Jesus said whenever he, the devil, speaks, he speaks a lie because he speaks from his own nature. And whenever he speaks, he tells a lie. And so these Jews who will be sacrificing up there in the Temple Mount will be stopped in the middle of the seven-year period. And the Antichrist will say, hold it, wait a minute. You need to worship me. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Today we finish our study of Daniel 9, where Daniel has four dreams about the end times and the returning of the Messiah. Today, Dr. Brogy shares how there's a group of Jews that has already been preparing for the arrival of Messiah, even to the recreation of the altars for sacrifice. Unfortunately, these Jews have failed to see that Messiah has already eliminated the need for a sacrificial system. Now, if you go to Israel today and you go to Jerusalem, and I hope in my next trip to Israel, we're going to do one on Bible prophecy as it relates to the end time, if we're still here. But in either case, there's a place called the Temple Institute. It's a great place to visit. And if you go there, you discover these Orthodox Jews who have reproduced all of the temple furniture, including the golden menorah. They've reproduced all the priestly garments. And they are training Levites. There is a lot of people who cannot identify their tribe, but there's one tribe the Jews can identify, and that's the Levites. That's a sermon in and of itself. But they are training the Levites how to carry out the sacrificial system that God prescribed. Why? Because God said sin brings death. Therefore, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin. Now, what they don't see, what they don't understand is that the once and for all sacrifice that was pictured and foreshadowed by the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament has been completed. But nonetheless, they're going to say, we want our temple, we want our sacrifices, and the Antichrist will say, that's fine, no problem, and he will give it to them through ease, or as the King James says, through peace, he will destroy the many. Again, verse 25 of Daniel 8, we studied it months ago, and through his shrewdness, the person he's referring to in this verse is the little horn, the Antichrist, one of 30 names given to him, and through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. And he will magnify himself in his heart. And he will destroy many while they're at ease, while they're at peace. The Antichrist's peace plan will deceive the peoples of this world. He will even oppose the prince of princes. But he will be broken without human agency. So the Antichrist, through his shrewdness, through his deceit, he will magnify himself in his heart. He will come out of the former Roman Empire. Some people asked me, someone asked me recently, could he be an American? Technically, he could, because we're dealing with ethnicity here. But he would still be, in terms of his ethnic groups, when God says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he's not talking about, you know, this nation, America, this one. No, he's talking about ethnic groups of every people and tribe and tongue, and he will come from the historical Roman Empire. He'll be one of the Roman people, so to speak. And he will come with braggadocious words. He will come with great plans, with a big mouth. Revelation says this, and there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. 
That's exactly what Daniel says. A time, times, and half a time. Half of seven years is 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So this false Messiah will come with a false peace. He will destroy the many through peace or through ease. And our war-torn, economically deprived world of that time will be ready and ripe for such a ruler. And he will come in the place of the Lord Jesus. The word antichrist, we think of it in terms of against Christ, but actually the prefix carries more the idea instead of Christ. Certainly he's against Christ, but he comes in the place of Christ. And so there's this evil potentate who is revealed, the prince who is to come. There's an evil promise that is ratified. The peoples of the world will buy into it. Third and finally, quickly, there's the evil promise that is repudiated. Now, let me read all of verse 27 again, and then we'll dissect it further. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, let me step through. It's a, it's a forest of theology here, but let's try to grasp the critical issues. Again, the first half of the verse. And he will make a firm covenant with the many, with the Jewish people for one week, for seven years. But in the middle of the week, in the middle of the seven years, he will put a stop to sacrifice in grain offering. Now, by the way, let me just say parenthetically, there are some Christians in the Reformed faith who say the church is the new Israel, that God has no future for the Jewish people. Now, they can't deny the fulfillment of the first 69 of the 70 weeks, but they make the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy contiguous with the first 69, so there's no gap of time. The problem of that is many. Number one, it would basically make the events described in verse 17 or 27 happen during the time of Stephen's execution, when Stephen, the first Christian, is martyred in the church. Now, if you want to call that the Great Tribulation period, you can, but it doesn't even begin to mimic what God describes in Scripture. God made a promise to Mary by the angel Gabriel in Luke 1.32. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. If you go back and study what Gabriel said to Mary, he makes seven prophecies to him, five that have literally been fulfilled, two that have not. Jesus never literally sat on David's throne, but at his birth, the angel Gabriel, the same angel that is giving David this, Daniel this prophecy, tells us that he is going to sit on the throne. Now, I love guys like R.C. Sproul and John Piper. They're not heretics. They're brothers in Christ. I'm glad they preach the gospel. I look forward to fellowship with them in heaven. But what they say in terms of their replacement theology that God has done with Israel is a heresy. They're not heretics, but that is a heresy because it denies the clear promise that God makes concerning the Jewish people. Again, in this next diagram, the big picture, the scope, verse 24, 
the first 69 weeks, verse 25, the interval, verse 26, the 70th week, verse 27. It's during the 70th week, the prince who is to come, the beast, the little horn, the antichrist, will make a covenant, a peace deal with the many, with the Jewish people. Let's read further into the verse. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Look at this next diagram. You can see the seven-year, the 70th week, the seven-year tribulation pictured here. It's um, seven years times a 360-day year, which is 2,520 days. And so the Revelation speaks of half of it being 1,260 days or 42 months or three and a half years, or as Daniel says, a time, a times, and half a time. And right in the middle of the week, the abomination of desolation is going to be committed. Right in the middle of the week, he's going to break this covenant. Now, that doesn't surprise me that this Antichrist, who is Satan's man, will tear up his promise because he's Satan's agent. And Jesus said, whenever he, the devil, speaks, he speaks a lie because he speaks from his own nature. And whenever he speaks, he tells a lie. And so these Jews who will be sacrificing up there in the Temple Mount will be stopped in the middle of the seven-year period. And the Antichrist will say, hold it, wait a minute. You need to worship me. Now, as this slide illustrates, the next slide, there again are 70 periods of seven. The first 69 weeks dealt solely with Israel. The 70th week deals solely with Israel. It's all about the Jewish people. And so we're in the church age. This is the times of the Gentiles. And when the fullness of the Gentiles is complete, the 70th week is complete. I'm going to give you, when we come to the Revelation, 20 reasons why the church will not be here for the tribulation. But one of the reasons, if you just look at the big scope of things, is the 70 weeks prophecy does not deal with the church where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but it deals with the Jewish people, Israel. And so again, we are in that gap of time. But when the 70th week kicks in, the abomination of desolation will take place. Now, again, the fact that he will put a stop to the sacrifice tells me that the temple will be rebuilt. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that the single most disputed piece of property in the world is the Temple Mount, a 37-acre piece of property. And I suspect that the Antichrist will come with signs, wonders, and miracles, inspired by the devil himself, will convince the world with this firm covenant, maybe this imposed covenant, he will convince the world that they, the Jewish people, should be able to rebuild their temple. I don't know if they will have just been sacrificing for a few months, but he will put a stop right in the middle of the seven years. Again, verse 27, he will make a firm covenant. He will put a stop to sacrifice and offerings. And then it says, and on the wing of abominations. See, it's plural there. Do you see it? Circle the letter S in your Bible. On the wing of abominations. Now, what is an abomination? Well, there are numerous passages in the Bible, and whenever you see God calling something as an abomination, you don't want to do it. 
When he calls homosexuality an abomination, it is. It's never changed. Abominations always represent a defiance of God's moral code. And it is most commonly used in Scripture to describe a form of idolatry, whether it's sexual idolatry or whether it's worshiping a man or an object. And so in the Holy of Holies, there's a man who is coming. The Revelation tells us he is going to actually erect a statue of himself invite people to worship it, but not only invite people to worship the statue, that the devil will literally give a inanimate object power to speak, but he will ask people to worship him. And on the wing of abominations, he shall come desolating. Now, the word wing in Hebrew is a word that's used to describe an overpowering or an overspreading influence. And that influence will come with signs and wonders and miracles. So this act of idolatry, really two abominations, which can be summarized into one as Jesus gives it to us in Matthew 24. He tells us until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out upon the one who makes desolate. Now, again, when does this take place? When we come to the Revelation, we're also going to study the Olivet Discourse. And if you look at Matthew chapter 24, the first half of the chapter describes the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And then when you come to verse 15 of Matthew 24, Jesus said for, um, it's, it's, maybe I didn't give you verse 15. Is verse 15? Oh, verse 21 is there. Okay, there it is. Therefore, one, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that this event, quoting the prophet Daniel, takes place right in the middle of this seven-year period. So when the Antichrist goes into the temple and he commits the abomination of desolation, look out. Because the worst single time in human history that the world has ever seen is going to unfold. There will be tribulation in the first half, but then there will be great tribulation like Jesus said the world had never seen and had those days not been cut short, not a single person would survive on earth. Now let's see what this event is about. Paul writes about it in his epistle. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians 2, and we'll finish with this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians. It's in the New Testament. All the books in the Bible that begin with the letter T are together. 1 and 2 Thessalonians come before 1 and 2 Timothy before Titus. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and in verse 4, we're told about the Antichrist. The one who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. Again, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus called this in Matthew 24, 15, the abomination of desolation. And Jesus said, when you see this event taking place, let the reader understand. What does that tell me? It tells me it's understandable. As hard as Daniel the prophet is, And this one of the most significant of prophetic prophecies concerning the end times. As hard as it is, 
It's understandable. Let the reader understand. So he's quoting Daniel, and he's quoting what will happen right in the middle when the abomination desolation takes place, when the Antichrist goes into the temple and claims to be God. Now think about the devil. He has always wanted the worship of men. That's the genesis of his fall. Why did the devil become the devil? Why did Lucifer, his holy name, why did Lucifer become the devil? Because in the five I wills of Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be worshipped by man and by angels. And so that's how the devil became the devil. And so what he was not able to accomplish in ages past, what he could not get Christ to do when he offered him all the kingdoms of the world, which were his to offer because Adam lost them through sin, what he couldn't get Christ to do, he will ultimately get the world to do through his man, the Antichrist, who exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now look at verses 6 and 7. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So Satan, through this man of sin, through the Antichrist, is going to bring his program to earth. Why hasn't it happened yet? Because there's a restrainer. There's somebody who's holding him back. Again, in verse 6, the Thessalonians knew who the restrainer was. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time, the Antichrist's time, he will be revealed. And even though the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, there's a counterbalance at work. There's a restrainer. And so in verse 6, if you will notice, he speaks of what restrains him now. And then in verse 7, he speaks of he who now restrains him. So in one verse, he speaks of what? An instrument, namely the church. And the next verse, he speaks of a he. Namely, the Spirit of God. Now, the King James, I think, is correct in capitalizing that pronoun, though there are no distinguishing lower or upper cases in the Greek manuscripts. They're either all lowercase or all uppercase. And so the translators have to put capitals and lowercase letters in. But I think they were right because I think, clearly, it is the Holy Spirit who is restraining largely through the church, but also by his own power, sin in the world. But there's coming event. It's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. It's called the rapture. We're going to be caught up. We're going to be snatched away. We call it the harparzo. In Latin, it's called the rapture. And when the church is gone, when the light that dispels darkness is gone, when the salt that preserves righteousness is gone, then darkness will come in and the rottenness of moral decay will spread like you've never seen it. Now, it's begun. Why? Because the final church that we're going to study in Revelation will become a lukewarm church. And because the church lacks light and lacks salt, evil is having a heyday. It seems like every month that goes by, things get worse. But when the church is taken out and totally removed, evil is going to have total freedom.
Look at verse 8 of that chapter. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth to bring an end by the, by the appearance of his coming. That's what Daniel wrote about. He's going to be destroyed. In a moment's time, he's going to be destroyed by the breath of Christ's mouth. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all powers and signs and wonders. So he's speaking here of the coming of the lawless one. The word coming is the Greek word parousia. And we speak of the parousia or the coming of Christ. But the same word is used of the Antichrist who will try to imitate the Lord Jesus. Just as Jesus came with signs, wonders, and miracles, the Antichrist will come with signs, wonders, and miracles inspired by the devil himself. And verse 10 says, And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them, the people of the world, a deluding influence so that they may, will believe what is false. Now, how can God delude a person that they will believe in untruth? Well, first of all, it's clear who are deluded. And the people who are deluded are the people who would not respond. And the people who would not respond are those who love sin more than they loved God. In other words, behind the great delusion is the great refusal. Just as John's gospel teaches, it's their great love for sin that causes men to turn from Christ. And so during the 70th week, the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, will come with all kinds of deception, and most of the world will buy into the abomination of desolation. Verse 12 tells us, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. The order is clear. Condemnation, damnation, judgment. And these, as chapter 1 has already said, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. So follow it. It's very logical, the whole process. First, they took pleasure in wickedness. They refused to receive the love of the truth. So they were deceived by the activity of Satan through his man, signs, wonders, and miracles. And so they became recipients of the strong delusion. They believed what was false. And in the end, they are judged for all of eternity. Now, no one knows for sure when the 70th week will begin. It could begin before this day is over. And I want to tell you, my friend, if it begins and you're only a pseudo-Christian, if you're a born-again Christian in name only, but your life has never been transformed, or if you are an outright unbeliever who has a love for sin, don't think that you're going to get things right during the Great Tribulation period. Because of your refusal in your heart today, you will come under a judgment of God, a great delusion. And you will believe things that you thought today you would never believe. And you will give allegiance to this coming world leader who comes instead of Christ, who comes in the place of Christ because you refused his son today. 
And you don't want to be alive because, as Daniel will say in the 12th chapter, and as Jesus will quote in Matthew 24, there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. That has never been fulfilled. These Reformed brothers who say the tribulation, the Antichrist, all happened in the first century, sheer ridiculous and folly. Nothing has to happen for the rapture to take place. All kinds of things have to happen for the second coming. But when you see prophecy being fulfilled for the second coming, which we are, you know the rapture is that much closer. God prophesied the regathering of his people from across the world. He began that in the 20th century. He continues it to our day. He predicted the reestablishment of Israel as a nation in one day. Isaiah the prophet spoke of it. It happened May 14, 1948. The third key prophecy that God spoke of was the reoccupation of the city of Jerusalem. The Jews had not had it since 135, and it happened in 1967. And the fourth key prophecy is that the nations of the world would come against Israel and they would defy their right to own the city of Jerusalem. And that is the official position of the United Nations and the European Union that the Jews do not have a legitimate right to Jerusalem. And God says that will happen at the end of time before His Son comes from heaven. Now, I hope you're ready because it could happen in our lifetime and God said, when you see these things take place, look up because your redemption is near. Are you ready? Now, our Father, thank you for these truths that we've studied today. Bring them to our hearts. Bring them to some complacent person today who's satisfied with lukewarmness, maybe who have even deceived their own hearts thinking that they're saved when they are eternally lost. You told us there'll be a great multitude of people like that at the end of time. Help us have, to have eyes to see what is actually happening in our world. I pray today for someone to repent and to believe on Christ. But we pray for those who are members of the true church that have been born again, who are in local assemblies across the world. Help us not to become complacent and lukewarm in the age in which we find ourselves, but to live holy, separated, passionate, zealous lives for Christ, whatever the cost. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Search the Scriptures, the radio teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. To listen again to today's study from Daniel 9, verse 27, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN15, entitled The Great Calamity. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll begin a look at Daniel 10 with a message entitled, The Invisible War. Join us then as we search the scriptures.